0: I needed that reminder today, especially this morning. Didn't you? Um, I don't know how many of you um, are aware of what took place in New York yesterday afternoon, but another tragedy in our in our country. Um, beyond that, there have been tragedies here in our own community. Um, brothers and sisters here who are suffering. And so I just want to take a moment this morning and ask God to be with us in a special way today to be our comforter. So let's pray. God, we confess our need for you this morning. We want to be able to say with all of our voice, with all of our heart, How great is our God. But God, we just confess, it is difficult to see sometimes. It is difficult to see you at work. Where we live, in this community, in this country, in this globe. So God, give us eyes to see you. God, give us glimpses of you present with us, incarnate with us, not just through your spirit, but through your people. God, would you be with us this morning? Would you take the words of my mouth, the meditation of all of our hearts, God, and would it be pleasing to you this morning, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Last month, uh, we looked at... John chapter 2 and we looked at the story of the wedding in Cana and, um, and there we found in scripture this testament to the beloved community that we are a reconciling community, that this is one of the marks of the beloved community, that in the midst of living life together, We declare our brokenness here instead of being hush-hush, right? Mary declares we are out of wine. In our brokenness, Jesus brings us back together the way things ought to be. And then a little bit further, um, just a few weeks back, Pastor Matt Thomas came to us, and he shared from John chapter 4, the woman in Samaria, and he shared with us that another mark of the beloved community is a community where there is hospitality uh, in in a marked difference from charity, right? As we move from chapter 5, we trace Jesus' words and actions through feasts, through celebrations of the Jewish people, and he takes us through um, the celebrations of Sabbath and Passover and the Feast of Tabernacles from chapters 5 all the way through chapter 8. And so today I want us to look at chapter 9, John chapter 9 verses 1 to 12. In these chapters just, just prior to all of that, we find Jesus in discourse. He is speaking to his disciples. He's speaking to Other followers, he's speaking to the Pharisees. But broken up in the midst of his talking to them, he encounters individuals, vulnerable individuals. In chapter 5, he encounters a man who has been ill for 38 years. In chapter 6, right, he he encounters the crowd that needs food, 5,000. In chapter 8, he encounters a woman caught in adultery. And so in between the discourse um, with his people, he encounters individuals. And John goes back and forth between the discourse and the intersection of individuals. And so today we come to one of those moments where Jesus speaks to us not only through his words, but also through his actions. Jesus is in Jerusalem. And there is an assumption made, the people there, that when we find someone who is suffering, that it is because they have sinned. And so in the very first verse, uh, his disciples ask him, Jesus, okay, he, he, as he's passing by, he sees a man who has been blind from birth, and the disciples ask, oh, Jesus, who sinned, him or his parents? That's the assumption there. Living with that assumption, uh, Jesus responds in a countercultural way. And he says, neither of them sinned. Neither he nor his parents sinned. But in fact, he was born blind so that God's work would be revealed in him. Jesus speaks to that assumption. Not saying that, not ruling it out. Not saying that um, that suffering doesn't come as a result of sin. We see that happen every day, right? But in this particular case, he he speaks to his disciples and says, "This man has been born blind, so that the work of God could be done in him." While it is still day, he asks, or he says, "I am the light of the world." Then Jesus, breaking from his words, his discourse, he spits into the ground, and he makes mud, and he puts that on the man's eyes. In doing this, he breaks the rule of Sabbath. I don't think it's a bad rule. You know, Maybe we should institute the rule no spitting. I don't think that'd be a bad idea. Spitting's kind of gross. I remember my brothers uh, when I was younger; they would they got into this habit of spitting, and um, but in 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 this context, spitting was not allowed because the spit could roll down the hill, right, and it could make some mud, and making mud was not allowed in the Sabbath. It was a form of work. And so Jesus here, in spitting and in making some mud and in putting it on his eyes, he's breaking a Sabbath rule. And the Pharisees are just looking for more and more ways right, to catch Jesus, to build the evidence against Jesus who's claiming to be the Son of God. So he he spits, he forms a mud, he puts it on his eyes, and he tells the man, go to the pool of Siloam, and wash there so the man leaves and then he comes back but jesus is no longer there so the neighbors who've been you know who have known this man all of his life they come around and they're asking is this the guy who's been blind from birth and some of them are saying yes and some are saying no and the whole the time the man is saying i am i'm the man that was born blind it's me they kept arguing saying no that couldn't be him. And when they ask him how he regained his sight, he answers, it was the man called Jesus. Where is he now they ask. I don't know. Remember, he was blind when he left, right? So he never saw Jesus. He heard him. He was he was listening into that conversation that Jesus was having with his disciples about the work that he was doing, the work of his father. Later in verse 35, Jesus will return to find the man in an intentional conversation about who he was, which ends with the man confessing with his words his belief in who Jesus was and in his actions worshiping him. And there we can see The whole story coming full circle. Back to the question at the beginning, why was that man born blind? So that God's work might be revealed in him. And we can hear the words as the man actually mimics Jesus in word and in action. I confess Jesus is Lord. And then he kneels down and he worships him. This is why this man was born blind. You can imagine the vulnerability of this man. Uh, He has been consigned to begging for his life, and he knows the rules of Sabbath, but he has been relegated here to the margins of life. And if Jesus' presence there is going to pull him out of the margins, whatever it is that the Pharisees are going to do to him is going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it. He is eventually driven out of the synagogue and um, placed in the margins again by those who created the rules of Sabbath. They place him back there in the margins where he belongs, according to them. And Jesus goes to him there again in the margins a second time. This is the thought that I want us to just speak about a little bit today about Jesus, who is an example for us of beloved community. Community, a community of justice. Justice that we find in friendship, in the margins. John Wesley, theologian, um, our founding theologian in the Church of the Nazarene, he shares this story in one of his sermons called... um, in service to the poor, or in visiting the poor. And he shares um, that there's a man of means, and he's walking along the road, and, um, and he shares, well, you know, I would help anyone who was in need. I would help anyone who is vulnerable, but I just don't know anyone who is in need. And John Wesley goes on to share, well, the man, when he came upon someone in need, actually uh, crossed to the other side of the road so as not to encounter him. And Wesley shares with us that our awareness of their need, we, we go out of our way and we claim what he calls voluntary ignorance of their need. It's kind of a luxury that people of means have to voluntarily ignore those who are in the margins. Friendship with people who are vulnerable can challenge our arrogance, our tendency to solve the problem and fix it at a distance, right? But when we become close friends with those in the margins, there's an urgency when the vulnerability is right in front of us. Friends who are vulnerable challenge our own lifestyles of consumption when they are generous and gracious out of little resources. When I was 10 years old, I was introduced to a woman who, out of her her resources, um, became a friend to my family who was at that point very vulnerable. And so I just want to share uh, this personal story with you today. Uh, I was 10. I am one of five children. Jeff, we survived, the five of us. Just there's good news for you, right? We survived. We still love each other, all five of us. We would defend each other. I think we have some photos of me and my siblings. There we are. There's the five of us. Uh, I'm fourth in the five, Um, so I'm going to guess I was about four years old there, so we're right in a row, so that would be three, four, five, six, and seven, and then uh, here's a more recent photo, here are the five of us, still loving each other, Jeff, still having fun together, I'm the one jumping off the wall there, Um, do we have one more, is that it, Richie? That's it, that's it. Um, so the five of us, we were, we were 9, 10, 11, 12, and 13. And our landlord came to my mother and said, um, Sandy, uh, you've been renting this house from us, and unfortunately we need to sell the home that you have been renting. And he said to my Mom, you have the option of buying the house that you've been living in with your five kids. My mom, a single mom, went back to school just a year prior to that. Um, My father was not in the picture. Uh, About a year before that, um, he, a man who was caught in the grips of alcoholism and more interested in a relationship with another woman that was not my mother, had left us. And so the six of us were there and the landlord said, you need to move out of your home. And so he, trying to be as generous as he could, he he said, I'll give you till the end of the school year and then uh, at that point, you and the kids will need to leave the house. And so you can imagine the vulnerability of my mother, and um, of us, probably unknown to us as little kids, our our vulnerability at this point. And um, so my mom brought that need to our small church in Melrose, just here on the North Shore. And um, we we went to a church just of about 100 people, but in that church was Doris. And Doris was... um, a single woman, her husband had also left her, but she happened to be living in a house by herself. That's Doris. I'm going to cry just looking at her. And so Doris heard about our need. And um, you remember that picture of the five rascals, or whatever you want to call us, um, just prior? Um, she heard about our need, and Doris said, Yes, I will... Take in Sandy and her five kids. That was not an easy yes. Um, I don't know how many of us are, you know, just chomping at the bit to take in a single mom and her five kids. (laughs) Um, Not many of us, I'm going to guess, but Doris did. And the the summer that I spent in Doris's house, I will never forget. Uh, When we walked into her home, Uh, She said, kids, you can just go find the room that you want to stay in for the summer. She lived in a big house, and my sister and I found a room, and my three brothers, they found a room. My mom found a room. And for that summer, Doris became a close friend to us. I learned what friendship really was Um, looking back as an adult, when I think about what Doris did for us. She knew what it meant to offer friendship. We don't do this because of guilt or because we want to save someone in their condition. Our task is this, to give visibility to God's work in the midst of our daily lives. Clinging to guilt, right? Right? If Doris had done this out of guilt, it would have been resisting God's grace for her. If she attempted to save us from our vulnerability, she would have been competing against what God wanted to do through her, but for us. Justice looks like this, friendship in the margins. It means staying close to the ground to people. It means staying close to everyday life, everyday happenings. It's the virtue that opens up our eyes for the presence of God among us and allows for gratitude. There is a person in our community who does this really well, who stays to the ground, who stays close to people. Chris Estep. I meet with Chris regularly just for this reason, because he is a person who has his ear to the ground. He knows what's happening in our community. And I love to talk to Chris because he helps open my eyes to the presence of God among us. And a few weeks ago, he was sharing this story with me that he observed at the homecoming dance. And when he, when he explained it to me, it sounded to me like the beloved community. Most of us know Jessica Fiascanaro. She's sitting right here. She is a fierce young woman. If you don't know her, you need to spend some time with her because she's amazing. Jessica has a disability which requires her to be in a wheelchair almost all of her day. In an environment where most of us um, walk from our homes, from our dorm rooms, to the cafeteria, to class, to meetings, to the library, Jessica has to find her way on our campus on wheels. And so you can imagine at an event like a homecoming dance, um, you can imagine how challenging it would be for Jessica to find her place in a room full of people who are dancing. But again, she is fierce. (laughs) You are, Jessica. And she was there, and she was dancing in her own way. I hope you had the chance to see it. She was also risking being vulnerable as she danced, right? For many of us, when we encounter a person who is different from us, our tendency is to put up walls. Our tendency is to look the other way, our voluntary ignorance. But in the beloved community, we take on a different... Nature, A spiritual nature, which is seen in our words and our actions. One person who lives this well in our community is Rose Percy. Rose speaks and lives the words of Jesus every day to us. Rose also risks being vulnerable with us because of her commitment to healing and restoration and community. And what Chris told me about, he observed that night at homecoming, was two young women, both fierce, both vulnerable, both dancing together And a beautiful picture of the beloved community. Rose and Jessica, thank you for giving us a glimpse of the presence of God among us by embodying justice through friendship. We build the beloved community by being the beloved community every day. In the beloved community, we find people who have experienced friendship and healing from God. And I believe it is out of our gratitude and our commitment to the kingdom that we are sent out to find friendship in the margins of the world. We need more glimpses of that community here. We need more young women who are willing to move out of a place of comfort and become a friend with someone who is different. We need young men, hear me. We need young men who when they see a young woman in a vulnerable place, would be more like a a brother and take in that sister and protect her, rather than taking advantage of her. We need colleagues who will go to the place of vulnerability and marginalization with those in our community who feel that they have been placed there, even by our own institution. Colleagues, we need to go there. Friendship in the margins. And when I say friendship, I mean the kind of friendship that costs us something. The kind of friendship that says yes to a single mom and her five kids. right? A kind of friendship that stretches us beyond complacency to service, embracing our identity just as the recipients of grace and Jesus' love. Our community ought not to be shaped by our own sort of pull up your bootstraps mentality, but by gratitude for the ways in which we have been able to glimpse God very often in the words and actions of those who look and sound like Jesus, who while walking on the road stopped to befriend a man in the margins. I would love for all of you to know the love of God through the person of Jesus, the way the man born blind knew him, the way that I knew him through Doris. I pray that you would find in Christ a friendship that is like no other you have experienced. Or that your friendship with others in this community would give you a glimpse that this is even possible. But regardless, if you find that, I want to say this morning that I am committed to you, whether or not you accept the Christ. I am committed to you as a friend. My friendship with you is is only motivated by God's love for us and the way that I know God's love. And I stretch that out to you as a friend. My friendship is motivated by his love, a love that affirms that God's imprint is on all of us as his beloved. I'm going to invite our worship team to come up and close us in a song today. Would you take a moment just to quiet yourself and ask God what it is that you can do to bear this mark, the mark of justice through friendship in our community.